What's up? What's up? What's up? We are back with another edition of the DNVR Rams podcast. I am thrilled because I was joined by Joel Canalamessa of RamNation.com. He, of course, the founder of RamNation.com, also one host of Ram Nation Radio, a podcast presented by Mile High Sports. He hosts that with my other good friend, Mike Rowe. A lot of love for those guys over at RamNation.com. It was great to get his perspective on this matchup, uh, some thoughts on the game, what it can mean for the program moving forward. We talked about the stadium experience at Canvas versus Hughes and, frankly, why it's it's felt like the in-game experience is kind of lacked in Canvas, but really that's just a, a product of, of the results that have played out You know, since it opened. Uh, it was a really enjoyable conversation, Joel. Definitely one of the top CSU supporters in the world, a guy that I definitely look up to. So it was fun to get him on the podcast to get his perspective. I certainly try to get as many Rams voices on here as possible. Uh, I'm not going to waste a ton of time with an intro. We're going to get right to it. Uh, I will say, and this is potentially controversial, but I've had enough of the Travis Kelsey, Taylor Swift stuff already. I'm just over it. And I know I sound like an old man yelling at the sky, but watching that game, it was a bit much. It, it was a bit much. I get it was a blowout, and so you don't really have much else to focus on. But I don't know, man. It, it almost reminded me of back in the day. I don't know if you guys remember. I don't remember what year it was, back when A.J. McCarron was the quarterback at Alabama and his wife is like a Miss America pageant uh, participant. I think she even like won it at one point. Very, very gorgeous woman, but they kept showing her on the broadcast. And it got super weird with Brent Musburger on the call. Love Brent, but it, it got weird. I don't know. Again, I'm sure I sound like an old man yelling at the sky. I've admitted many times that I am basically a 55-year-old man in a 28-year-old's body. I, I get it. I, I firmly get it. I just, I get annoyed when something like this overshadows the game itself. I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm complaining about nothing here. I understand the influence that Taylor Swift has in the, the pop culture world. Nobody's allowed to to go at her unless you want the, the swarm to, to come for you. And honestly, this really isn't a critique of her. Like I have no beef with Taylor Swift and all this. It's just how everybody can't stop talking about it. I don't know. It's just become a bit much. That's all I'm going to say. I'll leave it at that. We can agree to disagree. You don't have to cancel me over it. I'm not a Taylor Swift hater or anything like that. She's got some some bops. It's just, I don't know, it reminded me of that McCarran game. It reminded me of back when Brady Quinn at Notre Dame was playing A.J. Hawk of Ohio State, and I think somebody's sister was dating the other. I don't remember whose sister was was dating the brother, like how that played out, but she had the half jersey of A.J. Hawk and half jersey a Brady Quinn, and they showed it on the broadcast, talked about the relationship no short of 2,000 times that day. That's what it felt like to me. That's all I'm saying. Um, but old man, rant over. We're going to get to that interview with Joel Canalamessa, founder of RamNation.com. But I do want to talk to you guys about Saturday Neon. It's a local company started by a pair of friends, former college roommates, and they make officially licensed collegiate logo LED neon signs. Whether you're a diehard fan or a casual supporter, you're going to love the way these bad boys light up in green and gold. Saturday neon signs are made with high quality materials. They're backed by a two-year warranty. They're shipped with everything you need to mount, power, and dim, so every sign is easy to install and operate. 
They're officially licensed for 19 select schools, including CSU, CU, Bama, Auburn, Wisconsin, and many more. Great for offices, man caves, dorm rooms, basements, bar areas. Could make a great gift for Christmas, Hanukkah, birthday, you name it. Go to SaturdayNeon.com. Use the code DNVR for 10% off your order today. Free shipping for orders over $200. I also want to talk to you guys about Circa Resort and Casino, Las Vegas's first ever adult-only casino resort. They have the world's largest sports book, a three-story stadium-style operation. It takes 10 people to operate the 78 million pixel screen. They have great food options from Victory Burger and Wings Company to Project Barbecue. Tons of VIP seating, a 7,000 square foot casino with two levels, over 1,300 slots, 48 table games with dancing dealers. And I haven't even gotten to Stadium Swim yet. They have over 15,000 square feet of wet space, 4,000 person capacity. You can watch sports on a 143 by 40 foot LED screen while sipping Pina Colada's poolside. It really does not get any better than that. that. That's living the high life. The rooms are awesome. They have over 500 rooms with a variety of layouts to fit your needs. Uh, definitely the nicest room I've ever stayed at in Vegas. If you're going out to Sin City anytime soon, maybe for Broncos Raiders, CSU UNLV, Avs Golden Knights, a big basketball game, whatever it is, book your stay at Circa Resort and Casino. Use the code DNVR20 for 20% off your order. Also, the Circa Sportsbook app is available for download in Colorado. Circa sports bets can be made only while physically located in the state of Colorado. It must be 21 or older. All rights reserved. Circa Sports Colorado encourages you to gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call or text 1-800-GAMBLER or visit problemgamblingcolorado.org. All right. Joining me on the pod, we've got a special guest, Joel Canalamessa, founder of RamNation.com, host of the Ram Nation radio podcast. Uh, over with my friends at Mile High Sports. He and Mike do a great job. Joel, you're one of the CSU OGs. You're pretty much the the pod father, I guess is how I would I would phrase it. I mean, you really are the the initiator of all the, you know, CSU online content. We've talked about that in the past, but I'm curious just where are you at right now as a Ram fan? How are you feeling? Rams finally pulled off a, a victory on the road against a quality opponent. I don't want to get too out in front of my skis here, but I feel pretty good, man, for the first time in a while. Well, buddy, you and me both, and we were talking off air a little bit. I think after uh, the Washington State game, that was uh, that took a lot of wind out of my sails because I yeah. talked myself into thinking that this year was going to be different as far as just the product on the field and the way that we would come out and play. We heard so much from fall camp and even spring, how this team was different. And then we saw so many of the same old issues and lackluster offense and uh, just getting boat raced at home in front of a big crowd at home again. And that was, that was tough to take. And then faith was restored, obviously two weeks later at, at in Boulder, just because of the performance that we had. And, um, it, it lifted me up off the mat. And granted, I, I was depressed after that loss just because that is a that is the one that if I had to pick a game I want to win all year, that's the one, right? I just... Oh, dude, a little piece of me died that night. I yeah. think, I honest to God, think that loss was more painful than 2017 Boise State. Like for me, that's up there with whatever it was, 04, 05, the, the goal line stand in Boulder. Oh, and and I remember them all very clearly. Uh, I was I've been to every every 
Rocky Mountain Showdown, whether in Denver, Fort Collins, or Boulder, um, since I've been a student. And uh, there have been a lot of painful ones. And I would have to say that is the most, which funny, because going into the game, we all kind of didn't think we we're going to have much of a chance based on what we saw from our team, based on what CU had done in their previous two games. And actually, like you, I've listened to all your, you know, lead up to the game, thought we we're going to be competitive. I started thinking, yes, we got two weeks to prepare. I think that there's something personal going on here. We want to make a good showing and I think we'll compete that I think we would pull out a win. You know, internally, I always talk myself into that, but uh, <laughs> But just to see the, the the chance that we had to win that game up 11 late and to not come away with the win, that will forever be one that, that haunts me badly. It stings, man. Those are the ones that you look back on. But in some ways, I think that's what makes this victory over Middle Tennessee State even more impressive because, one, you're going into a setting that's just night and day from what you experience in Boulder. You go from 50,000-plus to... 10,000 and probably feels like you're playing in front of, you know, about a thousand after what you were in, you're going against a really quality opponent, but it's not exactly a team that gets your juices flowing. You know, it, it's not a rival. It's, it's not even an exciting non-conference opponent necessarily like going to Tuscaloosa or something where you inherently just have some raised stakes. But I think that that speaks volumes to where this program is at, that they were able to pull that one out, especially when, you know, they didn't have their A game early on. Yeah. I mean, this is a game that, you know, gamblers would look at and say, look, they're, they're coming off a heartbreaking loss where they had to bring every ounce of emotion that they poured, obviously two weeks of prep in for with CU. And then you got to come back, pick yourself up off the mat, go to Podunk, Tennessee, and play in front of nobody, right? Their homecoming, there was nobody there. They, they announced, what, 19,000? There was no way there was that many people there. But, yeah, so they had to manufacture their own energy. Obviously, we didn't see them look very good out of the gates. I mean, the first first uh, defense defensive stand was good and went put up three points. Uh, I guess early on in the first quarter, we, we we looked okay, then just hit a wall, just were very stagnant. It was back to, like, oh, God, this is, this is not going well. We're dropping passes. We're dropping picks. We're giving up 50-50 balls at the goal line. Like, just we're not doing – no one is stepping up. Not one single player is, is doing – is making the play that we're going to need to win. And then they flipped it in the second half. I mean, it was just like they went to the locker room and, and leadership took over. I think having Mo on the field obviously helped. But, um, but yeah, that I thought that it was really impressive um, to, to see the way that they were workmanlike. I mean, they could have. Here's the th here's the thing, Justin. That that is huge for this program. I think that when you lose for so long, I mean, year after year, how how many years has it been that we've been garbage? You know, since since the, the final two years of Bobo, even before Bobo, it was just kind of very average. But through the Adazio and then last year, it's been it's been bad. So you majority kinda, of the decade, at least. Yeah, and you learn how to lose. At least you you don't truly maybe believe that you can win you might think you can win but as you know as soon as things start going against you in a game the natural mentality is oh man here we go again and you kind of fold and for the first time in a while CSU overcame that Saturday night and um you know they they started they kind of showed that because they they fought their asses off against CU they just didn't close they didn't make that one last play 
And so they could have really come into this game and folded and, and they didn't. So I think that's the, the biggest step that this program has taken in a while is to overcome that and get a tough win. I don't remember a win like this. It's been a while since we've gone on the road and gotten a you know tough situation win like this, especially, you know, under some of the circumstances you found out that, that the whole receiving room was sick all week. Um, you know, you had, you're one of your best offenders dealing with death threats and and just probably how do you emotionally just get yourself ready after what he went through all week, Henry Blackburn. So um, I think it was a huge step for the program to, to go get that win. I'm right there with you. I'm curious, where are your expectations for this team now? You mentioned really pumped coming in. Obviously the Washington state performance was a cool glass of water to the face kind of you know, a reality check, if you will, then the emotional roller coaster of Boulder, you grind one out against Middle Tennessee. Where are you at with this team? What constitutes a successful season in your estimation? Uh, for me, it has to be a bowl season. It has to be. Uh, there's just been too long of a gap. We've seen too much influx of talent for us to not get to six wins. I know you put yourself behind the eight ball with the dropping the first two. Um, but that was always a possibility, you know, uh, of losing those. Yeah, this, sure. this was this was really the pivotal game that you had to have. And it kind of sets you up. I mean, it sets you up for some success here because you have a very obviously winnable game against Utah Tech on Ag Day. It should be a good crowd. Um, you go in, you win that. You, now you're on a two-game winning streak. And you go play a Utah State team on the road, which – I don't know. You never take anything for granted. Utah State's not very good though this year. That that I've from what I've watched, and that is a game you could potentially steal. And it just, I'm getting ahead of myself, but that just gets me really excited thinking about a three and two Ram team that's on a three game heater, hosting Boise on homecoming. It would be it would be massive for this program, and it gives you a real opportunity uh, to make a, you know, a, a, get a hallmark win something we haven't had in a while. And can you imagine what that's going to do to kickstart your program? If you finally get over the hump and beat Boise sitting at four and two, I, I think right there, if you get that little run, you string together three wins here somehow, now you're setting up with a realistic shot at a bowl. And and I think that this, this team is thinking much bigger than that. We're all like, we we're so scarred with the history of the program that we're just kind of begging for this six win you know, benchmark, but, you know, cause we'll take any success at this point, but I think the team is thinking bigger and we had Braden Fowler Nicolosi on our podcast last week, and I couldn't have been more impressed with him. And that was a great interview, by the way. Yeah. Thank you. I mean, he, he, he drove it. He was incredible. And uh, he was just so impressive from a maturity standpoint and just a confidence standpoint. Um, and one of the things that I was super impressed by was when, when we asked him, you know, what are your team goals? What's your individual goal? And the, and the individual part of it, what he said was my individual goal is to be the best leader that I can be. And then as for our team goals, he said, we're going to win the mountain West this year. We're going to go to a good bowl game and we're going to win it. So it wasn't like our goal is to do this. He literally said, we are going to win the Mount West. We're going to win a bowl game. And so he's kind of like, you kind of see him, and this mentality and this confidence kind of starting to permeate through the team a little bit. 
and he's it's almost like he's manifesting this. So we're, we are getting ahead of ourselves. We've got one game against a Conference USA team on the road, but it's definitely just I think he is a catalyst for for what we're seeing right now. I think he's kind of a reason why we're starting to feel a little bit more confident in this in this team. I'm right there with you. I said post game, and I don't mean this as a, as a shot at Clay Millen because it, it's such a challenging spot as a young college quarterback. You go from thinking you're the guy to losing your job, you know, in basically a quarter. It's it's a tough spot. Obviously, the practice played into that as well. But I'm not sure CSU wins that game on the road without Braden Fowler, Nicolosi, and he was really, really solid down the the stretch there. I, I don't know if you saw CSU stats posted. He had 12 straight completions at one point in that second half, second most all time by a CSU quarterback. Those drives he led were really impressive, but I think he does have an aura about him and you could kind of even feel it on the sidelines pregame in Boulder standing there with Kevin Lytle. You're, you're watching BFN's body language, just kind of his mannerisms, how he's interacting with his teammates, with the crowd. And you're just, wow, like this guy really radiates a lot of confidence and for a team that has a lot of talent. But like you mentioned, this is a program that hasn't exactly done a whole lot of winning over the last 10 years. I think you kind of need that. Like you need somebody almost to have irrational confidence. And, and I'm, that's not to say that he shouldn't have the confidence that he has, but he's because he's clearly a baller. But just to like overcome that losing, I, I don't know. There's just something about his presence that really has sparked this team, even beyond the, the talent that he brings to the table. I, I think, I think you put his talent, you put Clay's talent together. They both have, they're both really good quarterbacks with great, skills right and but i think that there is a clear leadership that is showing you know whether or not clay was a good leader or not i i don't know i'm not with the team all the time but i think you can visibly see what Braden fowler nicolosi is bringing from a leadership standpoint um, and i think it's immediately changed the culture of that team since he took over um and and i and i say this and, and i've posted this and i think i mentioned it in our last podcast but I sit our seats, our season tickets are right behind the bench, front row, um, about 35 yard line on the north side. So we the, the offense always comes and sits on the little seat chairs right in front of us. And it's the offensive line on one set of chairs, it's the receivers on the chairs right next to them. And I I'm and I'm I don't want to pile on Clay at all. I really like him. He was on our podcast uh last year. He's a good kid, he's a good player. Um, but I, I will just say from what I witnessed, um Offensive line comes and sits down. Receivers come to sit down. Coaches talking to them. Clay off by himself, you know, doing his own thing at midfield, right? One in the second half against Washington State, I as soon as you know when Braden was playing in the game, they come off the field after their first drive, and he is talking to his lineman, encouraging his lineman. He's patting a receiver on the helmet who had dropped the ball, um, and he he was like in the mix. Like he, you could finally, I'm like, wow. He's actually engaging his teammates. He's yeah. leading. I'm like, this is impressive from a backup quarterback who's a freshman. I, I'm this is this is a great start. And so, and I have not seen that. I can go back to you know, Toddy. Toddy was kind of the same way, standing off by himself, um, going all the way back to like our Austin Carter Samuel days, where he was kind of doing his own thing. Like, where the heck is the offensive leadership and guys meshing together? Um, and so, I've, I've been very impressed, and I think that's. You can't understate what that element has brought to the offense. 
it just kind of reminds me of when Garrett Grayson took over for Pete Thomas. And, you know, Pete Thomas was also, you know, a guy who had a lot of love from the recruiting era and, you know, four star, I think, and all that. And he was supposed to be the, the guy. And I don't know, Garrett just, he seemed to win the locker room over. And frankly, that kind of seems to be the case here with Braden. I think he just, like we said, it's just a, it's a presence and you can watch it out there. I don't even think you necessarily have to be on the sidelines to pick up on just how different things feel when, when he's out there, it's really encouraging. Um, but I think what's all is the fact that these skill guys are, are getting in the mix. We obviously knew that Tory Horror, I had high expectations for Dallin Holker. He's, he's exceeded those. I mean, where do some of these guys stand among some of the skilled players in your opinion that have come through just, You've watched a lot of CSU over the years, watching Torrey Horton. He kind of feels like a combination of Richard Higgins and Michael Gallup to me. Yeah, he, he's he's got more, I think, the the physical look of a Richard Higgins, but plays. He can also play physical. He can body up guys. I, I, I think he is. That's a perfect example or a perfect uh, combination, what you just mentioned. And he's just every bit as good as those guys. He's obviously going to be an NFL guy. And um, when you look at Dan Holker, it was great seeing some of the social media stuff with Trey McBride um, calling him after the game. And, and, and that is, that's exactly what we have that in like a, a Joel Dreesen kind of guy. Um, he's and even, um, Oh gosh, now I'm spacing out uh, his name. Oh, um, what era? Uh, like the, I guess it was uh, maybe Fairchild era. Talking about Corey Sperry. Corey Sperry. Yep. Corey Sperry. I, I felt like, I feel like he's kind of got those same traits as well. And then, uh, who's the guy that went to, to Baltimore Crockett Gilmore Crockett Gilmore. I, I think he's, he's like all of those guys. He's got similar skills. Um, and, and, and maybe we're just biased, but we're finally using a tight end in our offense, which is just very refreshing. So maybe we haven't had in recent years, a guy that you could trust to, to be a go-to tight end, but, um, you know, I, I, I'm not a tight end aficionado where I'm studying his blocking and all that when he's not catching passes. So is he a kind of guy that's going to be a, and can, can fit into an NFL camp? I, I don't know. I, I haven't, I haven't watched that closely, but from a pass catcher standpoint and route runner, I mean, he is, he's everything that we've needed on offense at CSU. I don't know if he's quite Crockett Gilmore in the trenches, He's in that Trey McBride territory where he gives the effort. He's not, he doesn't shy away from the contact. He's going to be, you know, he's going to be fine. He's he's not going to be like a world beater out there, just mauling guys. But what he brings as a pass catcher is huge. And I, again, I, I'm not trying to take shots at anybody or anything like that. Tanner Arkin, a Fort Collins kid. I'm happy that he landed on his feet at Illinois. I think it was just a situation where he didn't really fit the system, you know, he was brought in to, to be a different type of, of player than what really this offense requires. And what we're seeing with Dallin is he's just, he moves so well, you can line him up anywhere and he gives you so many options on the outside up the seam. And it's just, it's been beneficial for the quarterback, but I think we're seeing the impact for Tory Horton too, because you can't just shadow him over the top with the safety every time. And if you double him, then Dallin's going to be open. And if you double Dallin, then Tory's going to be open. Mm-hmm. And it's just nice to see them, you know, taking advantage of all these weapons that they have because last year it really felt like a one-trick pony. Well, definitely, and and I actually think you can see there's just uh, 
lighter air about the receiving core, I think, with with Braden. And I don't know if that's fair or not, but they seem loose. They seem happy. Ball is slinging all over the field. Everyone's touching the ball now. Uh, and they're getting chunk plays, which is something they haven't they haven't had. I mean, you you could visibly see some of these guys come off the field, especially in that game one and in a lot of last year as well where they would come off the field frustrated in probably a lot just because they'd go three and out all the time and they're sick of that. But I think just not, you know, not getting the ball in their hands is kind of wore on them a little bit. And I think any receiver is going to be happy when, um, when you're getting the ball in open space a little bit more. And that's one thing Braden has done is like, he hits you on the run. Like it allows you to make a play and, you know, get yards after catch. He's hitting guys in stride. He's getting, letting guys get in the ball to them in space. So, I, you know, obviously Jay Norvell has done a better job opening up the offense. Um, you know, he admitted that he had the clamps down a little bit, especially in game one. And he's, I'm, I'm glad that he's finally said, you know, screw this. <laughs> we need to, you know, whether it works or not, we need to take the, take the kid gloves off these guys and let them play. And, and that's helped. I agree. I don't know. I, I think it's a mentality thing that the team buys into. I think if you're calling a game cautiously, then inherently as a team, you're going to be able to pick up on that. And I just, I don't know if, if you have the confidence, maybe I don't know too much into it. It just feels like the, their entire approach flipped going into that Boulder game. Obviously Jay kind of put himself out on a limb by, you know, taking a shot at Dion and, and all that. And a lot of people were, were mocking him for it, but, my stance was just that he's kind of taking the screw you approach. Like we've got our own thing going here. We're going to try and punch you into the teeth. I'm going to go out and I'm going to do this. And hopefully the team backs me up on it. And I think they are. I think they're buying into the confidence that comes down from the top, both at the quarterback and the head coach. My personal thought on that is I think he did get a little ahead of himself with his comments and probably. I think there was a human element of that. It was yeah, some emotion. Yeah. yeah. But. I think looking back, he was probably like, you know what? This is good for our team. I'll put myself out there. Let's see how our team handles it. We'll take, you know, the focus off them, uh, put it on me, uh, take some of the heat off our team. And then maybe, you know, it obviously you saw what the effect that it had on, on CU's program. That's all they could talk about for the last few days of the week, you know, the last couple of days of prep. So um, I think, I think that was way overblown, but I, I will say that, you know, you make a great point about, you know, a, a team knowing their coach has faith in them and belief in them. I, I will say I will I will lament this for a long time, but him not going for two, I think, in that first overtime, considering all the factors we've talked about, the, uh, you've talked about it, we've talked about it, everyone's talked about it. You could debate it till you're blue in the face on whether or not they should have. But from a standpoint of when your quarterback, wretched freshman quarterback, goes over to you and says, coach, I promise you, if you give me the opportunity, I will score. He said that. And he told us that on us on, his, on our podcast last week, uh, Braden Fowler, Nicolosi did. He, he was begging to go for two there. I think that was a missed opportunity, not just from a win standpoint, but from a standpoint of coach to say, you got it, kid. We believe in you, whether we make this or not. I love that attitude. We're giving you the ball. Let's see what happens. And, uh, can you imagine if he does that and he scores, you know, BFN's a legend forever. You've got your superstar quarterback for the next four years and just what a legend he becomes in that series. Um, I just, from a standpoint of, I just wish that he would have just in that moment said, look, you're right. 
I love the attitude. I love the confidence of her freshman. Let's reward it. Let's see what happens. And didn't work out that way. I'm sure Jay would do it differently if he could do it again. Um, I have to imagine there was an element of being a little bit shell-shocked given how the 10 minutes prior to that had played out. I mean, you go from being up double digits, even still having an eight-point lead and then having to go 98 yards to all of a sudden you're in OT, they score quick. I just, yeah, you got to play for the win there. If nothing else, I mean, strategically, you hadn't stopped Shador the entire fourth quarter why do you really think you're going to there's been i don't know i don't want to get too into the officiating there's some ticky tacky calls that that went against csu obviously but it would have been nice to see them go for the kill there i imagine if csu is in that position again at any point this year we see them go for it yeah yeah and and you know mike my partner mike rowe made a good point with part of the reasoning could have been we knew we were getting the ball second there again in the second overtime also so true that, that's yeah. a benefit um but you also had mo out right you had mo out for that second overtime that should have been factored in and just yeah you could just feel the momentum shifting and shador was catching fire and it just would have been nice to just say all we need is two yards game over right so yeah that that was that and and it wasn't it amazing how this second game, uh, this this game this week against Middle Tennessee, the last few minutes kind of shaped up almost identically. And I was like, this is wonderful. Like how, what theater this is. We can actually see what this coaching staff is going to do different from what they did last week. And uh, and I, I, I don't think that we played as off as we did against CU. But the one thing that, it, that I was furious about was like, look, you keep the you keep the ball one more series of downs. You basically are putting this thing away, and we hand the ball off on third and three, which we had not been able to run the ball very well. I just thought that was a a play not to lose kind of call, um, and so that that was that was aggravating. But uh, you know the team did step up there and got the stop on defense, which we did not do the week before. But um, so yeah, I, I thought that uh, I thought they did make some changes, and more more so just the team said, screw this, we're not going to let this happen again. And, and they they took over the game that defense did. Yeah, I was a little surprised they didn't send more pressure. They were still dropping seven pretty consistently. I get it. You don't want to give up the, you don't want to get burned over the top. And there have been a couple of plays where when guys have been in space, the secondary is not tackled super well. So you're, you're kind of trying to give yourself some leeway there too. I get it. But I, they pulled it out. You know, at the end of the day, they pulled it out. Now we're going into ag day. What are your thoughts going into this weekend? I mean, I I don't think we need to see a 70-point game. I mean, what is this, an NFL game or something like that, the Broncos? But <laughs> oh, I, I do man. think we need to see a comfortable victory because we've seen the Rams stumble against FCS opponents way too many times over the years. And kind of similarly to going on the road against a quality opponent last week, this kind of feels like a litmus test for where you're at as a program, what your mentality is. Can you take care of business when you should? Well, f- for first things first, I, I don't think our defense um, has been has played at the level we've expected them yet this year. Agreed. Um, so I would like to see them take a major step forward in this game and, and dominate this game. I, I actually have not looked at 
Utah Tech and their personnel or anything like that yet. They can um, move the ball a little bit. They've put up some offensive numbers in a couple of their games, but it's also kind of hard to gauge given the right. variety of, po- of opponents that they've played. Right. So, I mean, that being said, they're not going to have a, a, the potent offense that, that CU had right, or Washington State had. <clears throat> And, or maybe even Middle Tennessee. I thought Middle Tennessee did a lot of good things against us. Their quarterback killed us. Gaviato's a good athlete, man. If you don't, yeah. they could not contain him. He was really good. Um, so I, I just want to see. I don't think our secondary has played particularly well. I would love to see them um, play a little bit better. Turnovers. Let's force some turnovers um, and just kind of take control of the game early. When's the last time we just could coast into a win and not stress in the fourth quarter or even, you know, how many times we've we been out of a game, you know, by the end of the first quarter, much less uh, still be in it, you know, or, or looking to put a team away in the fourth. So um, I, I would love to, to see us actually do what we should do against this team and jump ahead early, clamp down the defense um, and win, win convincingly, you know, we've, we have not, fared very well against FCS teams in uh, recent years. So this would be one that I would love to see you take control of the game and, and, and really play well, put a good product on the field. I want to see what we're going to do at running back. Obviously we've got a couple injuries. Yeah. I don't know. It's going to be interesting. I don't know what's what we've heard yet on, on those two guys, but uh, I would love to see, you know, the younger guys. I thought Van Shield was very serviceable and, and played admirably, but I would, I want to see what we've got in Damian Henderson or uh, Edwards, the the transfer, right? The JUCO transfer. Yeah. So you know, let's see what these guys have. Um, it's a great opportunity to get those guys in the game. So, yeah. And then you know, if you get BFN out of the game in the third quarter and and bring in Jackson Stratton or whatever, that that would be great. I think it'd be Brousseau, Actually, I really do. Yeah. I think it'd be the true freshman. Um, I don't think Stratton even traveled for Middle Tennessee State. I think he's pretty down on the depth chart right now. Hmm. Um, okay. Well, Brousseau would be fine as well. Lehigh kid? Is he the Lehigh yeah. kid? Yeah. Same school as uh, Dallin Holker. So encouraging. They produce produce some boys out there. And Lehigh, um, I don't want to take up too much of your time here, but I, I am curious. With Ag Day, we've seen a couple of iterations of that uniform over the years. I think the current version is the sharpest, although there I do kind of miss the the green helmet with the the orange horns. I just always loved when they would wear that. What's your favorite CSU alternate of all time? Um, well, I, I actually um, I, I think I would go with the the state pride. Uh, I do like the the orange unis that we wear, but I think that. I think in the early stages we had like mismatching helmets. We'd wear the orange uh, with the green. It didn't with the start gold. great. It became a good look, but it did not start great. Yeah, it did not. It did not start great. I, I do like the orange. I love. I love the way um, the stadium looks when we're wearing orange because it just the orange shirts. Pops, yeah, they all pop right, and it almost makes you wish that this was our full time colors. Um, but I think you know from a uniform standpoint, I, I just. I think that the state prize are so crisp and in money. I, I, I love those. Um, but I, I'm a sucker for any alternate every now and I didn't ever love the grays, but um, I even loved the throwbacks that we wore. I think it was in maybe Sonny's last year and maybe the first year of 
see Fairchild, uh, where they just had these pretty basic green with, with the numbers on the stripes helmet and the number on the helmet. I love yeah. that simple helmet. The number on that, I actually got that right here, in fact. And it's uh, it's one of my favorites, and it's actually signed by Steve. Uh, but um, yeah, so I, I'm I'm not hard to please with uniforms. I, I love breaking out new things. I I never was a huge fan. Maybe it was just because we didn't win very much. Didn't love the all whites, you know, white helmet, white shirt, white pants. Just bad vibes. It was a good looking helmet that we had so many horrible associations with that by the end, I was just like, I'm, I'm fine. We're getting rid of it. I'm honestly fine because I can't do it anymore. I actually, I loved the helmet when they came out. I just, for some reason, maybe it's just because of the air and we just were never very good. It just, I, and we wore them too much. Like it should have been like a true alternate where these. That was, know. yeah. It, it got to a point where green and gold felt like it was the alternate. Yeah. It was like, oh my gosh, we're wearing our actual yeah. colors today. Yeah. Yeah. I would like to see a gold alternate. Like they wore, I don't remember what season it was. It was back during the Kyle Bell era. They wore them one time, I think, against Wyoming and yeah. never again. Yeah. And, and then they wore those jerseys for like uh, spring games forever. It was like for their green versus gold. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I actually, you know, that, that would be a one-time thing too. Like I, I don't love going gold, uh, often, but it's, it's nice to mix things up. I think every now and then, um, yeah, the, the, the grays, I wasn't a fan. I, one thing I think they could do is go with like a metallic gold. I think that would be pretty sweet to do like that would a metallic be cool. gold horn. Yeah. That'd be sweet. But you you had this nail all along. It took them forever to kind of get back to a, and they still don't really have it right. But that that Vegas cold that they used to wear back under Sunny, I don't, do they not manufacture that anymore? But that was that I honestly was wonder if that's the case because you don't you don't see it anymore in college football. All gold is that like khaki, khaki. looking. Yeah, it's they've they've gotten it better than when we first went to Under Armour. It's closer but it still doesn't pop. Like when you go back and watch those BVP era games, I think those are still the best uniforms we've ever had. Yeah. Oh, my, my favorite. And they're about as simple as they come was the 94. Um, the, the greens uh, just had white numbers. There was no outline. Mm -hmm. And then the whites just had white with just green numbers, no outline. And it had those like, kind of like an Ohio state vibe or a, you know, or a San Francisco 49ers vibe where it was gold pants white jersey red number and that's what we had except green number it just was so clean and obviously winning and you know we, we, we that was our best teams back then and so I, I fell in love with those unis so i i would love a throwback to those you know just the very simple um you know simple jerseys there with the colored pant everything looks better when you're winning that's for sure yeah <laughs> All right, we'll get right back to that interview with Joel. But when you get hurt, Bax and Shanker is here to help. Bax and Shanker wins for Colorado families. They've been helping those who are seriously injured in Colorado for more than 25 years. Free until they win money in your case. No upfront fee to speak with you about your case. No fee while they work on your case. No fee unless they win your case and win money for you. Bax and Shanker has won over $1 billion for their clients, now with even more locations serving all of Colorado, including neighborhood offices in Denver, Aurora, Inglewood, and Fort Collins. Bax and Shanker has the strength and power to win your case with more than 30 lawyers and 100 staff. Bax and Shanker helps with all kinds of injury cases where you weren't at fault, car accidents, motorcycle, ride chairs, pedestrians, and trucks. They could even help if you're injured at work. Call Bax and Shanker at 222-2222 to find out if you have a case for free. Bax and Shanker wins.
Also, take on the sun with gear that's built to last. Our friends at Shady Rays have you covered for the warm weather ahead with premium polarized shades at an affordable price. Shady Rays is an independent sunglasses company, but they offer a world-class product that's just as good as any expensive pair we've worn. Durable frames, extremely clear optics for outdoor adventures. And that's not all either. Shady Rays offers the most insane protection in all of eyewear. Every pair of sunglasses backed by lost and broken replacements. So if you lose or break your pair, even day one, they're going to send you a brand new pair, no questions asked. Wear your Shady Rays with confidence because they have your back long after you purchase. You can shop the entire collection at their brand new location in the Park Meadows Mall. Full stop shop for all things Shady Rays. If you don't love your Shady Rays, just exchange for a new pair or return them free. There's no risk when you shop. Their team always has your back. Exclusively for listeners, Shady Rays giving out the best deal of the season. Go to ShadyRays.com. Use that code DNVR for 50% off two or more pairs of polarized sunglasses. Try for yourself the shades rated five stars by over 250,000 people. Finally, shout out to the homies over at Breckenridge Brewery. There's no better way to watch a game than having an ice cold Breck brew in hand. Some of my personal favorites include Avalanche Amber Ale, the Mountain Beach Sour. Uh, you can't go wrong with the seltzer. Really, there, there's just nothing you can do that's going to put you in a bad mood so long as you have a Breck brew in hand. Check out the Breck Beer Locator at breckbrew.com to find the closest liquor store, grocery store, whatever near you that offers Breck's fine selection. They're made with 100% renewable energy. And what's just awesome about Breck is they have a love and a passion for making good beer. They've been doing it for 33 years. I truly could not recommend Breckenridge Brewery enough. Let's get right back to that interview with Joel Canalamessa, ramnation.com. I did want to pick your brain just briefly as somebody who sits in the the stands and has experienced Canvas Stadium, you know, from the fans' point of view. Because I really, I've never, I've never sat in the stands at Canvas. I obviously watched a ton of games at Hughes, but now that I've been in the media, I'm curious from from your standpoint, what about the game day atmosphere is better at Canvas, and what's kind of lacking? What do you miss about Hughes? I will say game days on campus are spectacular, um, like pregame tailgating. The tailgating scene is cool. It's unbelievable. And I know a lot of people say say that it was better when everyone was together in one spot, students all on the east side parking lot and alumni all on the uh, south side parking lot. And, but you're all together, not segmented, uh, which I understand that thought. But, man, there is just something special. We tailgate right on the intramural field. Um and it's just, and there's the alumni tailgate. They've got the Ram Town with the blowups for the kids. They got concerts going on. And then the whole walk, I mean, the, the bus comes in and drops the, the team off right where we tailgate, right? That's their starting point. And it's just a cool, like a tradition that they've started where they get off and they march and they do their Ram walk into the stadium. You know, the, the painted stripe that goes from uh, north to south, right to the, to the stadium is cool, that whole area. So I think the pregame, the, the game day experience is second to none. And I have been to um, my daughter goes to school at Mizzou SEC football. And I will tell you CSU's tailgating scene is far better, far better. It just has a better feel. There's green grass everywhere. There's plenty of space to do it. It's, it's beautiful. Um, and then in the stadium, I mean, you cannot beat the spectacular setting of Canvas stadium, how beautiful the stadium is itself and all of the, the luxury areas that we have access to. I'm a, I have um, access to the OCR. I used to do the porch, but just found myself never using it because I'd rather have a better um, 
actually don't even use the OCR that much. It's kind of a waste of my money, but it's right next to where we sit. Uh, it's nice to go in there and get warm in the cold games. And then there's a bar in there, obviously, it's for when we suck and you need to drink a few drinks. Um, but uh, but I just think that there's so it's so unique from that standpoint of having so many different areas. They got the coaches, uh, whatever they call it, terrace. Uh, that, yeah. that's a new kind of a newer area that you can go get food and drinks at as well. So I just love that standpoint. As far as a, an atmosphere in the games, it's it's obviously been predicated on just not having a very good product. We just haven't had a very good product in a long time. And I feel like there is a lack of enthusiasm in the stadium. Um, there's only a, been a few times that I feel like Kansas was really rocking. And they were really in the first year that we opened, one of them being Oregon State. Um, I think Arkansas, that game was was uh, rocking too. Um, trying to think of some other conference games, but Nevada been- in 2017 was fun. It was like a 44, 42 thriller, but it was really cold. So I don't know if yeah. the stadium was like electric that night, but it was a good atmosphere. Yeah, I don't. know. I'm right there with you. It's something I've talked about with people that I went to school with, and part of it is I'm no longer in the stands, you know, drinking beer with my friends. So it's, <laughs> when I'm taking diligent notes from the press box. It's a little bit different of a game day experience for me, but I just, I don't have that many positive memories associated with campus stadium and it has nothing to do with it as a facility. I think it's a gorgeous stadium. I think building it was without a doubt the right move, but I don't know. I'm right there with you. When I think back to like 2014 at Hughes stadium and homecoming against Utah state and storming the field and even just some of the other random games in Hughes then. And I don't know, we're, we're missing that. And I do think the product is a, is a big part of that, but I hope I to see it slip. I think it's a hundred percent the product, uh, the product that's kind of causing the lackluster feel that we have for it. Because I think that the stadium itself is, is serving as the vehicle it's supposed to um, for getting people in the central campus. And then, you know, if you have a bad product, you've got a cool stadium where you've got a lot of places you can go hang out and, and, you know, the, the beer garden, the, the porch, the new Belgian porch, and even the concourses they got, you know, it's a great setup. It's really a great setup. Um, but the other issue is there's so many people using those premium spaces. So I could, until last year, the seven seats next to me in the front row were always empty because they were always in the porch. So uh, Tyler, Tyler Shannon and his buddies and family, um, they go to the porch every, every game. And so their seats were always empty. Um, and I think they finally gave them up because now I got some buddies that, that sit there, but that also impacts like the, uh, the way the stadium feels when you've got empty seats around you and people are just not in, you know, in their seats. Um, but I really think if you get a winning product, I think, you know, if you, if you come into that, Boise game three and two on homecoming. I think we'll, we'll see one of our best crowds and best enthusiasm, most enthusiasm we see at canvas that, that we probably haven't seen in a long time. So I think that's a big part of it. We need, we need a good product and it's not just the winning and losing. It's been a bad product. It's been like not even fun to watch. So um, yeah, that's, that's a, that's a huge part of it. This has been a blast, man. I really appreciate you hopping on with me, catching up. I'm obviously a big fan of everything that you do, everything you've, always done for the CSU community. They're just, they're, they're for a long time outside of ramnation.com. 
so few places you could go for quality CSU engagement for, you know, information from people with, you know, sources and then whatnot. I don't, I just, I've got most respect for you. I, I very much love what you guys do. And again, I, I really appreciate you hopping on with me. Well, right back at you, buddy. Um, you, what you guys do for what you do specifically um, you and you alone do um, is, is amazing because let me tell you um, I tried to do what you are doing now back in like 2005 and I wasn't I wasn't like quitting my day job but I had like a full I got a great staff I had like Bradley Van Pelt writing me a, a, a I remember. analysis article once a once a week I had Eric Olson the guy that uh, was our uh, defensive back who played for Jacksonville he would like do a preview before every game and what we needed to do to win and I had guys from former friends from the collegian that were great writers and we had like we were putting out great content um, and it's tough to get traction. And granted, that was a different era when people weren't necessarily as used to having to pay for stuff on, on the internet. You guys were just ahead of your time, dude. It's really, I mean, it, I view it kind of like the Mountain West Network. It just was ahead of its time for it to yeah. work financially. Yeah, may, maybe. But um, but it was fun while it lasted. And I, I know that you're having a good time doing it. And I'm so glad to see that people are supporting you because you deserve it. And we need this as a, we need this as a fan base, someone to to provide this coverage and you're doing a lot more than we even did like the breakdown the analysis the daily the the podcasts and um it's awesome and i appreciate you uh we we thank you for all that you do buddy you make me blush man thank you <laughs> well we 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 uh we gobble up all of the all the content you provide i listen to every podcast or watch it on youtube i love that you're doing youtube and and every article you write so um we need we need your voice we need your coverage it's awesome. Real quick, before we go, give me a give me your prediction for wins this season. How many wins the Rams pulling out? Well, um, I'm saying seven. I'm saying seven and a bowl game and a win. So, so eight I, total. Eight total. Yep, I'm going to say eight. Eight for the season. Seven for regular season. And uh, I might be jumping the gun and, and putting a little too much stock into a road win against middle Tennessee, but I'm just liking, I'm liking the feel of the team. I, I just feel like something has shifted. I'm right there with you, man. I, I obviously put out quite a bit of positive content coming in. Washington state was a, was a big old bummer, but I just think this team is too talented to not live up to it at some point. I believe in what Jane Norvell's building and I think a flip switched. I really do think a flip switched over these last nine quarters and might just be the, the beginning of something special. Yeah. And, and I think you're starting to see the stars of the team really kind of emerge. And, and that's exciting because we've, we've, we've seen the names we've been, we've been talking about how great this, these guys are going to be for a long time. And now we're actually starting to see the difference that it's making on the field um, and big plays and, you know, Mo, Mo Kamara um, basically seemingly a game um, this past weekend or this yeah Saturday. And newer Gaku, who, who we talked about the potential of him and now just seeing him wreak havoc. Um, I think there's a lot, of, a lot of reason to be positive, not just for what we can do this year, but in, in future years as well. This is Norvell and company are, are really building this thing. And it's just, you know, it's never as fast as you want, but I think it's coming. It's never as fast as you want, but also you want it to be sustainable. 
and while you know everybody wants to be bolder in what's happening and via the portal i think you know really this last week was a perfect example of kind of some of the deficiencies they still have as a program even if you do bring in a couple of superstars like it takes time to build the depth necessary to be consistently competitive at this level and they're doing all the right things on the recruiting trail they have the guys they've kind of had to go through the lumps and all that but I mean, I think when you look back over the years, whether it was early Sonny Lubick, early Jim McElwain, it was a similar deal. You know, you had the the moments where you could see that things were trending in the right, right direction. And then once they hit that ground running, you know, they kind of never looked back. So we don't want to get too ahead of ourselves, but I firmly think this team's going to be in the mix for Mountain West Championship. I'll go ahead and say that. I'm not saying they're going to get there. I'm not saying they're going to win it, but I will say they are going to be in the mix. Wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't that be nice if like halfway through three quarters of the way through the season, we actually have those aspirations still. That would be just amazing. Um, and I will say this, like, look, we, we always take heat for fan support and lack of, uh, you know, passion with our fan base, but what our fan base has done. Um, I, I know that it, it, it declines as the season goes on and, and every fan base is going to be like it's that. natural. And if you're losing, though. if you're, if you're losing, you're going three, nine for like the fifth straight year, obviously at the end of the year, it's not going to be great. And especially when it's freezing up, but early in the year, our fans fan base has shown up year after year, especially since COVID. And, and I think that's a, a testament to um, our, our fan base is, is growing. I think the students have been unbelievable. Uh, and then what makes me most proud about what our, how our relatively supportive our fan base is, has been is when you look at San Diego State's football fan base, it is, it is your apathy, despite the fact that they've been largely competitive. I mean, it's an eight to 10 win every program, year, year after year, they get good athletes and it's a beautiful brand new stadium. Um, and to see what they had against Boise on Saturday night, there was nobody there. I don't know what they announced, but, I don't know if you saw any of the, that game. I watched the skip through a little bit through my DVR, but that is just, it was shocking to see the fan support there. And it's been that way that they're, what are they have three home games so far this year? It's, it's terrible. Yeah. And I so think that's, that's the thing about CSU though, that we've always known, at least those of us that follow the program is, I mean, there is institutional support. Obviously you look at the facilities that we have, it's the, on, on par with the the best in in the country, at least at this level. I mean, uh, obviously you're not going to outdo like a Texas or something like that. But as far as comparable programs go, I mean, CSU, they don't take a backseat to anybody. Yeah. There are fans, they'll support a winner. You can see it with Moby and, and the basketball program, the volleyball program have really consistent support. And even frankly, for as bad as CSU has been, our attendance numbers are still consistently in the top 10 for G5 schools. I, I really feel like it's a sleeping giant. And I've heard that term so many times over the years that it kind of makes me roll my eyes and even have like some bad Urban Meyer type flashbacks. But I, I, I believe that like this program could be a Utah. It could be TCU. There's no reason it shouldn't at least be consistently competitive like a middle tennessee state who makes a bowl game you know seven out of the last 10 years or whatever it is just turn it around because we've been through too much yep uh for sure and you know joe parker takes a beating you know and this a lot of that is deserved because you have made the hires of our you know our previous coach which was uh 
debacle. Never made sense from the start. Never made sense from the start. I will never understand that yeah. for the life of me. Um, and then obviously the extension in hindsight on Bobo wasn't right, but, and you just been, we've stunk in football for too long and that that's the golden goose, but um, there's a lot of other things that they're doing right. And, and Chris Ferris uh, and his game day, um, all right. the elements that they've worked so hard on making game day special. I think that's a big part of why, uh, you get good crowds. So and, until, until, until you don't when the team is three, nine and, and looking terrible, but um, yeah, there's a lot of good things that this administration does. And now it's time for us to see something on the field that changes everything. Show us something more. That's all we're asking. You know, I'm not Please. demanding a 10 win season. I'm not saying championship or bust. Do I want to aspire for more? Absolutely. And like going into next season, it would be great to feel like, Hey man, this team should be viewed as one of the top, you know, one or two contenders in the Mountain West in the in the preseason. But right now they're kind of to that stage. They they've got to prove it. I think everything is on the the table for this team. And I think these next four or five weeks are are really pivotal. Obviously, you have this home game, but then you've got, in my opinion, winnable road trips at Utah State and UNLV, although UNLV looking a lot better yeah. than I expected in year one. That could be a fun game. But I mean those are the types of games you got to win if you want to be in the mix because you still got Boise and Air Force and Wyoming and everything else. But we're yeah. going to find out a lot about this group over the next month. I think these these next three games could really change everything if you could find a way to win them. Um, look out. And we need this. I mean, Justin, like you, th- you're invested in it. Good, a good football program is going to drive your subscriptions, going to drive your interest. It's going to reward you for all the time that you put into it. It's going to reward me with not having to deal with all the people on Ram Nation for just being so negative all the time and me spending hours after football games cleaning up the message board from all the garbage. You know, I'm so sick of that. I want something positive for our fans to be able to talk about. And, uh, in the last two weeks of the last week since the CU game, I know a lot of people were, were bummed about the loss, but to see you, but I think I've seen kind of a turn. I've seen a little bit of a turn in uh, people's emotions and people's starting to maybe believing in this program. And I would hate to have a setback, you know, obviously there's probably going to be more losses this year, but just don't, just don't lay humongous eggs where you just look terrible against the team that you should beat you know, compete in every game. And that's, like you said, that's not too much to ask. All right. This is, this is, we deserve this. It's been too long. One game at a time, man. Yeah. I, I certainly would love to have that feeling of, oh, I'm going to go online and see all the the joy and thrill that CSU fans have after we accomplish this and not, all right, I'm going to try and talk everybody off the ledge for the next 45 minutes. Yeah. You do a good job of that. You do a pretty good job of that. There's uh, there's always going to be people that goes in one ear and out the other. And we have a lot of them on Ram Nation, but um, that's every fan base and we're passionate and and some people handle it better than others. And it's hard to, it's actually really hard for me to blame some of the. the no, I mean, honest to God, like fan. the people that are fed up, it's tough to tell them they're wrong. Like it's right. like I can rationally explain to you what there is about the team to like and the things they're doing well, the things they need to improve on. But at the end of the day, like you invest all this time and emotion into these teams and you want to win. I get it. I mean, I'm, I go to the Broncos games and it's frustrating when you're sitting there in the stands, just feeling like what a waste of my time. This was what a waste of money. 
what a waste of my emotional investment. Like, why do I care so much about this? What am I doing with my life? I, I get it. People get frustrated. Doesn't always come out in the most appropriate or, or mature manner, but it's hard for me to tell people they shouldn't be sick of, of the status quo. And I, I will say, I, I think it's shifting. I really do. I think they have the right staff. I think the talent is clearly there. But at the same time, you got to go out and do it because it's it's not like the Rams have lost for a lack of talent in you know the last six, seven years. I, I don't think they've been the worst teams in the league or anything like that. It's just been that like losing culture that's persisted through multiple staffs, multiple eras. And I don't know, hopefully this weekend, I guess, was the, the start of something to come. But we'll see. You know, the, the, the angry fans, the ones that are losing their minds, they're not the the biggest problem we have. It's the people that no longer voice their concerns because they've they're done right. And I've actually seen long to get people who had been on Ram Nation for a really long time for twenty years, twenty would, but we've had a website for twenty three years now. Um, people that were as passionate as it comes, and they're long gone. They've they've the the long periods of losing just finally got to them and they're gone. So I'll take the complainers and the, the bitchers and moaners over point. the ones that have completely quit, you know? And I mean, that's, that's where it is. So you gotta, we gotta, like you said, get that product back. Let's, let's make a little run here, get the, keep the positivity going, maybe pull some of those people that have gone and, you know, left, left the scene, maybe pull them back a little bit. So we can only hope. All right, man. Great to catch up with you. Hope you have a blast this weekend. Hope it's a nice weather. 5 p.m. shouldn't be too hot, at least. I love these 5 p.m. kicks, man. It works out timing-wise with youth sports, and, and it's a beautiful time of the day. And um, it will it should be a, a glorious day on, on campus. Probably never make it when you listening to that right now. I said we on now.